It's April 29th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local science and tech stories, and then we'll speak with Kenny Long to tell us about an upcoming joint IEEE high-capacity event. Then Tiger Oaks will join us by phone from the Big Island to tell us about new updates to his bus transportation app. Finally, we'll talk with a team of 8th graders from Seek's uh, Charter School that is preparing to launch an experiment into low-Earth orbit. We'd, of course, love your questions and thoughts, so be ready to call in or tweet us. But first, the headlines. The XPRIZE program, which works to solve large-scale problems through competitions, includes a $2 million prize focused on the world's oceans. This year's Wendy Schmidt Ocean Health prize will focus on ocean acidification. Yesterday, the program announced the five teams that will compete and the competition will be launched from Honolulu next month aboard the research vessel Kilo Moana. The Ocean Health X Prize will go to the team that can develop a sensor that can accurately measure pH levels at sea, and their entries will be tested at Station Aloha. Station Aloha is a 110-square-mile region located about 100 miles north of Oahu. Established in 1988, it has been the site of some of the world's longest-term monitoring and research. And, of course, during the voyage, the team's sun sensors will be put through rigorous performance tests focused on stability and precision while battling real-world pressure scenarios at depths of up, up to 3,000 meters. These trials come after three months of lab testing at Monterey Bay, Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute and a month-long performance test over at the Seattle Aquarium. The winners of the competition will be announced in July 2015. Now, of course... Uh, uh, Wendy Schmidt, uh, and that's the uh, Schmidt Ocean Institute. Yep, and I yep. kind of was thought, uh, thinking that perhaps the Fall Corps would have been involved with this, but uh, uh, it turns out that um, you know this is primarily with the research vessel Kilo Moana. Right, and of course it's part of the X Prize program. We talk a lot about the Google Lunar X Prize. That's a thirty million dollar program. They have programs for learning, energy, global development. But I like that there's an ocean one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for the five teams, there are five teams from four countries, three from the United States, but it also includes teams from England and Japan. I like that they're they're going to be coming onto a research vessel and going to the open seas because they've done their tests at these aquariums. Yeah, right. And I'm wondering how the these uh, sensors, aquarium. yeah, how they will do in the real world. It'll be very interesting. Well, you see. know, Monterey Bay is, of course, a little bit more, uh, I think, intense. Uh, Seattle Aquarium, I mean, you know, right. I mean, uh, that's a little different. So we'll keep an eye on yes. that. Discoveries of new planets in star systems beyond our own are nothing new. Of course, we cover them here on Exoplanet Palooza, but the latest batch of new planets that were discovered in part using telescope, a telescope in Hawaii still made headlines. First, of course, these planets were found in a planetary system that's only 54 light years away. That makes them our nearest planetary neighbors. And secondly, their discovery was facilitated by robotics. The Keck Observatory on Mauna Kea was used along with ob- observatories in California and Arizona to find these planets. The presence of planets was detected through the gravitational wobble they inflicted on a star HD 7924. And astronomers knew to focus on the star through the automated planet finder, which searches for planets every clear night, observing star by star for the telltale Doppler effect. UH graduate student B.J. Fulton said in a statement, The idea of letting a computer take the graveyard shift was more appealing after months of little sleep, so we wrote software to replace ourselves with a robot. This new method complements the Kepler Space Telescope, which has been used to find super-Earths that are further away in our galaxy. This discovery suggests that we will find exoplanets around many nearby stars in the coming years. Right, and, you know, the uh, amazing thing about this is that 54 light-years away, 
you know, isn't that far away. Of course, if we could get to the point of sending a spacecraft at the speed of light, I mean, it'd only take 54 years. Yeah, right, but that's in our neighborhood. But that's in our that's, neighborhood, uh, right, That's right. a few blocks away as, uh, as far as space is concerned. So these these planets are seven to eight times the mass of our own Earth. They also have very close orbits. In fact, one orbits its star in five days. The other two are 15 days and 24 days, but that's a very short year. <laughs> you can get old pretty quickly. That's right. But, uh, you know, we love following, ec- following exoplanet discoveries, and uh, Hawaii is kind of the hotbed for a lot of these things. This planetary system, by the way, has been named the Levi Planetary System. Sounds good. And, of course, here's a final, a couple of final uh, uh, notes we wanted to share with you, a couple of stories uh, that are coming up here. The Joint uh, House-Senate Conference Committee passed a measure yesterday that would require that 100% of Hawaii's electricity be generated from renewable energy sources, such as wind, solar, and geothermal, by 2045. House Bill 623, which uh, increases the interim requirement to 30% renewables by 2020. Hawaii currently generates about 22% of its electricity from renewable sources. On the tech calendar, we would like to invite anyone interested in civic hacking to join us tonight after the show for a quickly organized meeting at the Box Jelly in Kaka'ako. The grassroots tech group Code for Hawaii is meeting to set its goals for the coming year and plan ahead for events like the National Day of Civic Hacking coming in June. Developers, designers, entrepreneurs, and community volunteers are all invited. That sounds fascinating. I think I'll uh, head down there. I think you'll see me there, too. Okay, good. (laughs) Of course, joining uh, us right now here in the studio is Kenny Luong from IEEE, and he's here to tell us about another upcoming event uh, with uh, both IEEE and High Capacity, and it's the uh, their social mixture. Uh, welcome to the show, Kenny. Hi. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, we've had the High Capacity guys on, and, and you know, we, we love those guys. It's kind of a makerspace, and they do a lot of electronics, and, you know, they're doing all sorts of uh, interesting things over at the uh, Manoa Innovation Center. And then uh, you're the, what, you're the president of the IEEE chapter at the University of Hawaii? Yes, I'm currently the president of the IEEE student chapter yeah. uh, at Hawaii. And yeah, in, uh, now, IEEE is what, the Institute for Electronic and Electrical Engineers, and you're a uh, computer engineer? Yes, I'm currently a senior in computer engineering So at what UH. compelled you to become an IEEE student chapter president? Well, really, there's like, I have this really long story. I'll try to be short. But, okay. Um, <laughs> When I got to UH, I was looking to get involved in a club, mm-hmm. and I actually um, I was involved in it, but it wasn't the first leadership position I've t- I took. I actually took a leadership position with the Engineers Council at UH, mm-hmm. uh, and the president re- did a really awesome job, you know, getting the community together. And uh, I wanted to take that back to my, you know, my the guys down in my major. So that's that's how I got there. Now, what uh, what can we expect with this sort of combination of IEEE student chapter and high capacity? Well, you can expect a really good mix of students and professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite things about uh, high capacity is this, it's, it has this nice community feel to it. And so we're trying to bring students into that mix, too, because they can bring a very fresh perspective to, to things. Have there been um, – I, I kind of noticed that at uh, high capacity there have been more student involvement. Do you see kind of more of the mix between, you know, the uh, the students up at UH and – the guys over at uh, high capacity. Oh, definitely. It's 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 been ramping up a little bit. Uh, I mean, just a couple like a couple of months ago, one of my friends was up there uh, hacking on a radar board mm-hmm. uh, with Noah. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I think we were at that event and we saw that, and we were all very excited to see a student pre- presence there at high capacity at the makerspace in Manoa. Um, what is the makeup of the student chapter of IEEE at UH? Is it uh, undergrads and graduate students? Is it primarily people toward the end of their college uh, careers ready to be talking about careers? Or is it still also exploratory for someone who's just curious about these things? Uh, it's really all those things, but Again, I, I guess the majority is uh, mostly undergraduate students. We do have a few grad students that are involved, uh, and um, it is a lot more of the senior students who, who get involved. But we, we are starting this new initiative to get more younger folks in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it the junior board, and we have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that are really interested right now. Actually, no. they're, they're actually there at UH doing this event right now. called uh, we're, we're calling it the Paper Circuits Workshop to get uh, more younger students involved. So is uh you know during the curriculum that you take uh, in engineering are there opportunities to get a lot of hands on or do you see I guess high capacity offering more opportunity for people to actually get you know get their hands into service service mount soldering and all that kind of good stuff uh, Well the electrical engineering department at UH actually does a really great job of allowing students to do projects mm-hmm. throughout their career mm-hmm. and we have these things called X96 projects and it's there's a sophomore, junior, and a senior project, um, but definitely having high capacity as another route will add even more to that and make you know experience for students even better. Well, mm-hmm. Kenny, I'm wondering if it works the other way. So we have this interaction with the IEEE student chapter working with the makerspace in Manoa, but uh, what about the maker movement as far as the university is concerned? Is, is it flowing the other way? Is your organization kind of the chapter uh, hub for things that makers are into, whether it's Arduino or hacking um, uh, circuit boards like that, or is it more widespread? Um, definitely the maker movement has impacted UH, and there's uh, an initiative right now they're trying to make a um, kind of a joint makerspace um, system across the university. Um, and one of the hubs for this system is going to be in the engineering department, and it's going to be a community space. Uh, don't quote me on this, but mm-hmm. we're, they're looking for it to be a community space where students, uh, professionals, and you know community, community members can come and uh, hack on stuff. Who's uh, who's going to be sort of managing that space? What what department will that come on under? Um, sp- the one professor uh, is helping to really drive this effort in the engineering department, at least. His mm-hmm. name's uh, Doctor. Uh, his name's Doctor Garmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't remember his first name is David. David, oh, David Garmer. Garmer. Yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, he's working on a couple of interesting projects. So I think one was some kind of a uh, acoustic sensor using your smartphone and determining, you know, low frequency earthquakes or something. Yeah, he has a couple crazy projects. Yeah, out there. yeah, he, yeah. He is very motivated. Yeah. Well, so Kenny, this upcoming social mixer. I mean, are there specific events? Are going to be workshops? Or are you going to be playing musical chairs? I mean, what should someone <laughs> be looking forward to at this event? Uh, really, this is a. This is an event that is very casual, and this is, I think, uh, for me at least, has been the experience where a casual event which gets students talking, gets students interacting with professionals at high capacity is really good because it makes students realize that, hey, you know, these guys used to be us. That's right. They were in at the, no the matter how before. old they were, they were probably your age at one <laughs> at time point, in their past. Right, right. Well, yeah. tell me about the professional representation. Where, uh, again, um, does that, that body come from? Um, so right now, uh, a lot of the high capacity active members are coming down, and we're looking to get you know more professionals to come down. And right now, we have representation from anything from software all the way down to like uh, hardware. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. people who are interested in Arduino's, people who are interested in web development, they're all going to be down there. So sounds Very good. Cool. So when, where, and uh, where is where's this all going to take place? Uh, so this is going to take place at the Manoa Gardens courtyard oh, at okay. the University of Hawaii. So. Uh-huh. 
once you're done with our event, you can go and have a drink. Oh, what day, so what day again? What day? What this day? is Monday, uh, May 4th. This is upcoming Monday, so uh, really quick. Where and can someone go to find more information about this social mixer? You can go to the High Capacity website, and uh, they have a really nice post there. It has more information, so just highcapacity.org. Sounds great. Thanks, Kenny, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, of course, uh, now joining us by phone is Tiger Oaks, and he's here to tell us about his updated transportation application. Hey, welcome to the show, Tiger. Good evening. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you're calling in from the Big Island, and you've been working on I know we've uh, talked to you before about this uh, uh, bus app that you uh, created. Uh, this was a while back, but you've done something kind of brand new to it. All right, so I believe last time you talked to me was about this time last year. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been working to improve the app. I gave it an entire overhaul, put a first come and More importantly, I started working with the county and the transportation department itself to start improving the app, make it more accurate, and get their support in some area in some areas such as getting this transit information onto google maps as well i mean that sounds very exciting but for those who uh, don't recall that conversation so you have the uh, uh, big island buses app and um, trans- yeah. transit app and, tra- and is, is a very popular area of civic hacking but when you develop this app to help people on the big island find their way around using the i think it's the hella on bus system um I mean, didn't you basically have to take all of their printed paper schedules and turn that into data to be used in an app? That's exactly what I had to do. <laughs> and it's even more even uh, more calculations, actually. Um, I've been, for the first few months, I was working to just basically convert all those little pieces of paper and rewrite it into a digital format. Mm-hmm. And... Then I did it a second time with this new version of the app because Google Maps uses a different format than the one I made up for my for the app originally. So you had to start over and now for that. I've, <laughs> yeah, I had, I had to start over. And now I also have to start I, – I just finished this, but I also had to start basically writing out each coordinate of a line as mm-hmm. a little connect-the-dots format mm-hmm. for, for shapes that can be drawn out between the stops or used on Google Maps and eventually in the app itself. So now with your uh, update, updated version, uh, it's integrated with Google Maps. I mean, does Google Maps pull this data from somewhere? or how does a, What's the connection between the data that you have pretty much taken from a uh, hard copy and made it available? How does Google Maps find that data? So right now, the app and Google Maps itself are kind of distinct entities, but they're tied together by this data file I've been putting together mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. both apps will take and read. It uses a format that was created by Google called the General Transit Feed Specification, Mm -hmm. which is basically a little series of Excel tables put zipped up, and then it contains routes, bus stops, and information on the order, the times, etc., now, some bus systems uh, have, because of the technology they use, they might have an API, a public-facing point that uh, any programmer or developer can pull information and build an app. I think the bus here in Honolulu has an API, for example, but you basically had to create the API for the Big Island transit system, and that makes me wonder what happens when, say, they change all of the times along a route because they want it to go around a different block before it heads up the Hamakua coast. Do you have to then change all of those uh, spreadsheets, basically, all those data points? Unfortunately, yes. I've been taking steps to try and alleviate some of the load. Um, initially, when I was working with the county, I tried to have them send me 
their whatever Excel files they use to write down the transits, I could make an attempt to ha- write a program to scan those files and then put it together, but they never sent me that information. So now what I've done is I've essentially open sourced all of the transit schedule data. So the data itself is available under a Creative Commons Zero license on mm-hmm. GitHub, mm-hmm. where anyone can look at it, and then if they want to, edit it. And as soon as they send, uh, as soon as they make changes, they can they'll automatically send it to me, where I can take a little quick review, and then I can just automatically upload it to my server, where it'll be seen on the app and in Google Maps very quickly. Right. So your your data is accessible to anybody, but uh, for the purposes of your application, you're the one that sort of integrates it between your app and Google Google Maps. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, when we talk about app, is this an Android app, an iOS app? I I know that it's, uh, a, web it's a beautiful web app. It looks good on, on pretty much any screen. Yeah, it's – well, it's only a web app right now because okay. recently a lot of changes have been coming to – Web platforms like Google Chrome, Firefox, and even Microsoft's new browser, which they're calling Edge. Um, and because of that, I'm able to create this web app that will run efficiently on any device that will support a web browser. So library computers or users' smartphones will be able to open up this little bus app and see all the data. And they, and they don't need to install it because sometimes people won't actually want to have this one specific app installed just to look at the bus schedule every once in a while. Well, one challenge that people might have on the Big Island is there isn't necessarily data and Internet service uh, around the entire island. Uh, How does your app handle that? Well, it leverages the the offline app cache available for websites. So what that does is that after you visit the website one time, the app will basically make a copy of everything onto your own device so anytime you visit in the future, it'll just load off on your own device, no internet required. Sounds great. So Tiger, uh, you're you're graduating, right? And you're heading off to uh, college. Yes, I'm graduating from Marby Thompson Academy next month, and I'll be heading off to college in the University of British Columbia in Canada. I'll be in Vancouver. I'll be studying computer science. So hopefully, I'll be able to keep making more software in the future. Oh, that's great. And uh, you're going to kind of like maintain this uh, on a going forward basis? I think as far as features go, the app is fairly self-contained. Done, yeah, but uh-huh. in the future, I would just keep making sure, trying to make sure that the schedule is up to date and make sure I fix bugs that pop up. Yeah, well, you know, Tiger, I know you won the House App Challenge. That was uh, a big deal last year. And I know that your development on this and other apps is part of why I think you you got into a great school. So I hope we can keep up with you. If somebody wants to try the new uh, Hawaii uh, Big Island Buses app, where do they go? The app is available online at the URL goride.io. Okay. You can just take a Google search or put that right in your web browser, and you'll be able to access the app immediately. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Tiger, if somebody wanted to go look at the uh, GitHub, your GitHub repository, where would they go? It's under the name Hawaii-GTFS. So the website would be github.com slash notwoods slash Hawaii-GTFS. All right. Well, okay. we'll have that link on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. But, Tiger, thanks for checking in, and uh, we know you're, up, you're off to do even greater things. Yeah, thanks for calling. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Tiger.
And of course, that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Monique Chiba, Zach DeWiss, and of course, Amadin Rabindran. And we'll talk about sounding rockets. Yes, students are sending something into low Earth orbit with uh, these experiments they're putting together. We want to learn all about it and what the students are planning to do next. If you have a question, you can give us a call as well at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we're monitoring Twitter as well. You can reach us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Betty White, head of school at Sacred Hearts Academy. We have been an underwriter of Hawaii Public Radio for several years. We always ask people where they hear about Sacred Hearts. A lot of our parents are riding long distances in cars. Our teachers are quite involved in some of the programming. And I personally find it very rewarding. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. I'm Willis Barnstone, translator of the Restored New Testament. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about my love for poetry and sacred texts. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ferraro Choi, and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Joining us today is Monique Chiba, Zach Duis, and Amandin Rabindran. Monique is a full professor and associate chair at the Department of Mathematics at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And, of course, Zach Duis is the mentor for the Student Outreach uh, Mentorship Program over at the Department of Mathematics. And Amandin is uh, an eighth grader over at the Sikhs chapter or charter school. And I guess Sikhs is school for examining questions of sustainability. Mm. That sounds interesting. So how did the math department get involved with rocket launches? It might make sense, but I think there's a great story here. Of course, if you've got questions or comments, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from uh, the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good Thank afternoon. You. So, Monica, uh, why don't you yes. give us a sort of frame it up for us on how this project got started? Now, um, first off, maybe you should explain to us what a sounding rocket is. So, the sounding rockets, those are rockets that are on short mission. Their time flight is between five and 20 minutes. And it is to do like experiment in a non, uh, non-gravity field. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Five to 20 minutes, uh, how far up can they go? Um, up to the one that that experiment is going to fly on. Uh, it goes about 120 kilometer altitude, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's one of the short ones. So when you uh, were, I guess, uh, from a math department standpoint, I mean, you guys were probably investigating some of these opportunities with NASA and sounding rockets. And I know there's, uh, you know, there's a NASA facility in, in Wallops, uh, Virginia, what is it that really caught your eye about per- perhaps the potential to participate, you know, in the sounding rocket project? Well, this is a special program. It's called Cube in Space, and the idea is really 
to build the new generation of future engineers and scientists and astronauts and that are going to develop the new technology and explore the uh, beyond just uh, our planet. So really the attraction here was to develop an educational journey that goes from a full professor to an eighth grader with the, the whole pyramid of Mm-hmm. of mentorship. So that was really very attracting to me to give an experience to people from different background at different stage of their career. Mm-hmm. So how did the connection happen between the UH mathematics program and the college program and students, young students, eighth grade students, for example, at Sikhs Charter School? Where did that uh, link happen? Well, uh, with the SuperM program, it is an NSF-funded uh, program for which I'm the director in the math department. We've been partnering for six years with K-12 school uh, on the island mm. and uh, even uh, with the other islands. So we have really developed a good network of uh, of connection with the K-12 school. And this charter school is very specific and has a new vision. vision. It's a new charter school that has been open for two years now. And uh, it's project-based, and therefore that was really a good environment. And I think the kids were uh, prepared in order to be able to tackle those sort of challenges. Mm -hmm. So we want to get Zach and Amadin to tell us their story. So, Zach, you're one of uh, the—you're a junior over at the University of Hawaii Computer Science? Uh, Yes, computer engineering. Uh And then uh, um, how did you get uh, sort of involved in this project? Um, well, I work for Dr. Shiba uh-huh. uh, in the math mat- math department, and uh, one day she uh, she emailed me and just said, "Hey, um, there's this project that uh, um, that this sounding racking project that is going on, and uh, she's wondering if I would like to be the mentor." Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said, "Yeah, that sounds really interesting because uh, you know I love mentoring kids, and you know uh, I'm really interested in space exploration, and um, it sounded like something that." Uh, I'd really enjoy. So, so what? What um, when they say mentoring kids, what would be some of the roles and responsibilities of a mentor? Well, uh, well, with the program, they had this handy little packet they handed out that kind of guided you. Because I mean, they can't just say, "Oh, you know, build an experiment and shoot it into space." You know, they, <laughs> they they have to give you a little bit of guidance. So they had this packet that told us how to start off, you know, it gave us information about the rocket, about its flight path, it, mm-hmm. and then uh, it told us the constraints, and um, and uh, it didn't really give us examples. Uh, that was one of the problems, was we didn't know uh, what kind of experience had been done before, so we looked that up, and we looked at other people's experiments, and um, and so, yeah, we that's how we started our thought process. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you're in the mathematics department. You want to study mathematics, but working in a program like this, I think, shows kind of an interest in education, an interest in fostering the next generation, you know, seeing perhaps your previous self uh, in these kids. Is that part of uh, your personal um, interest in getting involved? Is that something that uh, you knew that you didn't just want to solve some of the hardest math problems in the universe, mm-hmm. but you also wanted to kind of help pave the way for the next generation? Right. So I'm very grateful that I got into engineering at a young age. You know, my father got me into robotics and then I started uh, getting into the robotics program at my middle school. And I'm really grateful for all these opportunities that I had because I wouldn't be the same person I am today. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of nice to you know get involved in that and become a mentor and also uh, give that to the next generation. Oh, and, that sounds great. Yeah. So, Amadin, what, how did the, your eighth grader at Seeks, uh, 
how did uh, you get presented this project? I mean, what was it that uh, that the I guess your mentor or any of the you know uh, Monique, uh, what did they present to you as a class to be the opportunity for you to come up with this project? Well, they told me all about the idea in my uh, robotics club that I have every almost like two days a week after school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, me and my partner, actually James, he's not present today, but um, he, he, me and him thought it was really interesting and we wanted something extra. And it sounded like, wow, we're going to send something to space. That's amazing. We really wanted to do it. I mean, like, not every single kid in the world gets to do this. So. No, that's great. So what kind of, uh, what kind of robotics class or, or project were you working on? Um, we were working with NXT. Mm-hmm. Um, we built uh, robots with our other mentor, Stuart. He also works at UH. I mean, he uh, lives at UH, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we built robots such as, like, cars, and we were starting to do underwater things and, like, 3D printing and, like, modeling on the computer and all that, and then this came up. Oh, good. Well, it sounds like both for you and uh, Zach, Mandin, um, that robotics was kind of one of the gateways to these uh, these activities. And uh, you mentioned underwater robotics. We've talked about that and these different um, kits that, that, that sort of form the different bases of different robotics programs. Uh, but where does the space come in? Is it just that space is – I would say for myself, space is just cool. It's all about you know cool <laughs> stuff like that. But was there also in your background, in your uh, childhood uh, play experimentation, an interest in space exploration or space science? Well, space is amazing. You see, like, uh, many people have gone to space and – I mean, not many people, like, few people get to go there, but, like, it's amazing because, like, everything is so different in there. And uh, my mom also, um, she had a dream of going to space when she was little, and she told us all about it, and it got us really interested. Wow. Well, okay, so, uh, you know, I just want to point out that Monique is the mom that you're referring to, and... And Monique, yes. what was that dream that you had? Oh, I always wanted to be an astronaut when I was young. and But with my mathematics, I get to go into space every day. So I think I got even luckier than uh, the dream I had when I was younger. I can go everywhere very far. I can go in the past. I can go in the future. I can go in the water. So, so, so. <laughs> Are you gonna Are you gonna say some important phone numbers? Well, always. Okay. Love to hear also from our listeners. We are talking to Monique Chiba, Zach Duis, and Amandin Rabindran about a program that students at this charter school are going to be able to send something into low Earth orbit aboard a sounding rocket. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that for sure. But if you've got a question, if you want to know how programs like this can perhaps reach your school. This might be a good time to give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Monique, uh, when you want to put this together, you want to get involved, nobody can just sort of walk up and say, I'm going to put my cube on your rocket. I mean, clearly there's a process where you perhaps have to write a proposal where you have to basically pitch what it is that you want to do. Uh, How did that proposal process work? Did, Did you kind of guide that through? Okay, so you're right. There is a process, and that's uh, the first encounter you have with science. Nothing is just done and and granted to you. So you have to think that through and and go through many stages. And one of them is absolutely to write a proposal. 
that is going to be reviewed by experts and then they're going to make the decision. And that's the case here. So it's an open call. Any school can participate. Any science teacher can take the decision to maybe work with them and write a proposal uh, in order to go into uh, to participate into that program and send something in space. And eventually they select the one that they think are uh, the better uh, have the better chance of success and and are the more uh, interesting in terms of the science. So here, my idea was really to try to have them go on by themselves and be as withdraw as I could because uh, I wanted them to go through the experience. They would report to me and I would give them feedback. But really, most of the work, uh, if not all, has been done by them, and I was pretty much not involved. So, Amanda, what was that process like? I mean, I can't imagine myself <laughs> writing a proposal for a space launch in eighth grade. Uh, how did you even uh, wrap your mind around that and get into writing a proposal like that? Well, um, well, the proposal was necessary, first of all, and they give us a few guidelines for it. And me and my friend, we had to work we had to collaborate productively to like um, figure out our per- write about our purpose, like how is this experiment gonna change the world, or like what what is it gonna do, like the materials that were gonna be included in it, and like our analysis plan, what were we gonna do after it, and everything like that. So, what were the key sort of guidelines that uh, gave you the opportunity to think about what you were going to propose? What were the objectives of this proposal? It was very, like, open. And so we had, like, a very broad, I mean, like, we had a lot to think about. Like, it was very, um, very, like, we we had, like, so many options. And we spent many days brainstorming for the ideas. And, mm-hmm. And, so uh, what, what what idea did you settle upon? What is your experiment going to do? Well, we had to iterate a lot of times on our final idea, but during the brainstorming stage, we came up th- with a lot of ideas, but there's multiple restrictions, and so it limited our ideas, and then we came across um, low-orbiting satellites, mm-hmm. and it really interested us. So what about uh, so low-orbiting but what is it that you are going to send up as an experiment that's going to actually gather some you know, information? Um, we're going to send up um, an accelerometer which mm-hmm. is with a lot of materials such as the teensy and SD card coin cell batteries. And we, we're thinking about anti-static foam. And um, the SD card is going to be the one, well, having all the memory and storing all of it. And the TNC is going to be powering the triple axis accelerometer. And um, the accelerometer is what really, like, um, gets the data, which really, Mm -hmm. like, um, right. Right. We'll be uh, this accelerometer, um, you know. Uh, as you can, he's holding it in front of him. Yeah, which, right, which right. we, <laughs> we can <laughs> all see here <laughs> in the picture in your mind. Well, I, you right, know, I, so. maybe I should take a picture and, and put it out on Twitter so everybody can just go to their Twitter account and look at. Yeah, it. or bitemarscafe.org will have a picture. It's uh, it looks like a a circuit board that you can move components on. There are a couple of chips. One uh, looks like a USB. I would imagine that might be how power comes in. Um, right. So, well, when we're testing this device, we're going to be using USB, but. Um, what I wanted to get at was that the main purpose of this experiment is to measure the gravity at uh, 120 kilometers, the peak of the rocket's path. Mm-hmm. And um, we, when we when we talk about low orbiting satellites, we're uh, we're thinking, okay, this rocket's only going to go up to 120 kilometers. Um, could we make 
a satellite orbit at that altitude. And we were studying it, we were looking into it, and we realized, oh, man, the, w- one of the lowest uh, satellites uh, to ever orbit the Earth was about 250 kilometers. Oh, yeah. And that was, used, uh, that was used to study um, the gravitational field around the Earth and how it changes in different places. And so um, we're saying, wow, that's, that's really useful as a... Um, uh, a low orbiting satellite would be really useful for research and things like that, and for internet communicate stronger internet communication. Um, and so we're thinking, okay, could we make it altitude even? Uh, should we make it orbit even lower mm-hmm. at this altitude of 120 kilometers? So one of the important parts of orbiting is you have to know the gravitational force at that altitude. So that's what this accelerometer yeah. is going to do. Oh. Now, Zach, uh, you know. Uh, Amandi mentioned that, or I think you mentioned that part of the research of this, of course, is seeing what other students have done and um, some ways that they might have solved a problem or posed a question. Uh, and I like how Amandin said that it was very open. You could propose any number of uh, possible research uh, research projects you wanted to do. I'm, I wanted to know what other examples, although this sounds very interesting. I mean, what are some of the other things that students are doing with the in this program? Right. So um, the one that we uh, looked at for inspiration. Uh, we're, well, during their process, it, the packet was very vague. It was like, okay, you're going to design an experiment to go into space, and it has to fit in this cube. And so, we're, okay, well, what kind of things can we do? You know, um, what do they expect? And so, uh, we saw this article on last uh, one of uh, last year's winners, and they designed this experiment that would measure um, if they could collect energy from. One of the I forget which um, uh, part of the atmosphere it was, but as the rocket passed through this part of the atmosphere, I wanted to try to collect energy mm-hmm. um, when it passed through, and uh, and they were saying, oh yeah, if we could do that, then we could have generators up there that would be able to collect energy in that part of the atmosphere and um, somehow send it back down. And that was pretty intimidating because they're like, wow, that's a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, and, I, if I had to be coming up with a proposal, I'd be like, well, I want to know what happens when you put a spam musubi <laughs> in lower yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that would be about as complex as Or, or yeah, can I drop an egg from that altitude and, and keep it from cracking? That was that was the thing. We were like, wow, this is for middle schoolers. So, uh, I mean, it can't be super complicated. You know, they can't expect that much. But after reading this article, like, oh, man, you know, mistake. Yeah. Stick they might be they might be expecting a lot, so um, we're thinking what falls within the constraints. What can we fit, you know, in this cube that wasn't, you know? Oh, okay, well, so here's another here nice oh. visual. What Oops, size sorry. cube I, is that? that? I hope I didn't break that. Looks cube. like maybe about an inch and a half cube. It's four centimeters. Yeah, four centimeters. On four each centimeters, side, which is very it's like very a jewelry small. box, like a ring box. <laughs> okay, okay, and, and that's what your box. experiment has to fit into. Oh yeah, yeah, it's very small. Okay, and <laughs> and does that have to also um, provide? I mean, some has to have some power leads, right? I mean, you're gonna have to tap into some existing power, right? So, yeah. Amadin, yeah, what what's the power uh, requirement for your circuits? So um, we're gonna be using coin cell batteries, and I'm pretty sure that we're gonna be using three point three through five volts. Yeah, about three volts. Um, that's what we decided on. So you're gonna have the power all self-contained inside that cube. So you're not gonna have you're not gonna need external power from any any place else. No, not really. But there are gonna be a lot of side effects like. Uh, the rock is going to be really shaky, so mm-hmm. we need to, that's why we were thinking about the anti-static foam, anti-static foam mm-hmm. to like make it less, uh, 
shock re- reduction. So is the is the actual container that this uh, experiment, the electronics that we're talking about, the uh, the battery, is that going to be contained in that plastic container? Yes, uh, the whole experiment has to fit in that tiny little okay, cube. Okay, so we're looking is- at this plastic container. It's about four centimeters cube, and and. What do you? What it would do you, not hold a spamboos to be. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it'd be, you'd, you'd only get like one bite out of that spamboos <laughs> right. to be. But uh, so, what is your deliverable? You deliver basically your experiment inside that cube to NASA, and they stick it in their rocket. Right, and um, they'll uh, there there'll be like a sa- safety check to make sure it's not we didn't put anything dangerous in there, and um, like spam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think well, you're allowed to have. Um, Food items, I think. Oh, in there, oh but, okay. So they want to yeah test maybe the the viability of sending a seed up to that altitude and <laughs> seeing what happens. Right, and um, yeah, they uh, you could do that. Um, but uh, let's see. There's yeah, there was a lot of when we we're uh, trying to think of an experiment. That was that was pretty probably the toughest part was thinking of an experiment because mm-hmm. like okay, um, our first ideas were like oh let's. Uh, because we've seen uh, some pretty cool videos of fire does in zero gravity. It becomes like a, a sphere of plasma. And we're like, oh, we could do something like that. Um, see, Try to record that, see what happens. But no, you're not allowed to have fire in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. You don't want to ruin other people's experiments. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at the constraints. Oh, you can't have lasers. You can't have acid. And we're like, oh, man, all these cool, dangerous things you can't <laughs> have in there. But, um, but we wanted something that fell within the constraints, small enough, um, was uh, interesting, you know, um, had an application that we could think of. And so... Um, no, that's cool. And, and so, um, b- you know, we got to take a short break, but Amadan, I want to talk to you a little bit about the electronics that you've got assembled here and sort of the experiment uh, that you're putting all together. And of course, you're using some big words that I never used until I graduated from Stanford. <laughs> so that's, I'm really impressed. Uh-oh. We're going to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Monique Chiba, Zach DeWeese, and Amadin uh, Rabindran about sounding rockets. And of course, we are welcome. We are we welcome your calls as well as well as nine four one three six eight nine or toll free from the neighbor islands eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. In an ever-accelerating world with ever-faster communication, NPR's Morning Edition slows the news down. We're going to be doing this all day. Let's work through what happened in what order as best you know right now. Take a second look, ask one more question, and own your morning. Tomorrow with Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. On the next On Being, millennial composer Mohammed Fairuz. He weaves poetic language, even political speech, into his music. When power narrows the areas of man's concern, poetry reminds him of the richness and diversity of his existence. When power corrupts, poetry cleanses. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. 
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozao. And we're talking to Monique Chiba, Zach Deweese, and Amandine Rabindran about low Earth orbit research. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And right before the break, we're talking about this experiment. And, uh, we, you know, we're looking at this uh, small little circuit board and and the cube that it has to go in. And, uh, Amandine, what what is it that, um, from your guys' perspective, you have a teammate and you guys are working on this circuit? I mean, this is some pretty complicated stuff. I mean, where are you learning about circuitry and accelerometers? And how did you decide that measuring gravity was going to be something that would be part of this experiment? I don't know. It was kind of in the dark, like risk, like leap. Mm-hmm. And um, but it really paid off because we learned so much, and it was it's really interesting. And um, it, it we learned we don't learn anything about this at school. It, we learned all of it right here, at, in this um, class. So so tell me, you know, we're looking at this little circuit. What what is it that uh, this circuit consists of? Well, um, it consists of the material. The materials are the accelerometer, which we already talked about. Mm-hmm. It's a triple axis accelerometer, so it measures y, x, and z. And there's also a teensy, which is um, Arduino. Mm. It's a 2.0. And there's an SD card, which record, which like makes more space for memory. So it records everything. And then we, we're going to have coin cell batteries that powers pretty much the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So when you decided to measure gravity, was gravity, was there something unique about this uh, low Earth, let's say, distance and the measurement of gravity that perhaps was not done before um i'm pretty sure it's been done before but i don't think the the data has been like like uh they didn't think about it too much because they had maybe other things on their mind but it's not like public and stuff and i mean that we know it's pretty hard to find and so if we knew this ourselves we could like uh do further things with it and Mm -hmm. it's just it's also a great experience not only the project i mean not only the product but the project itself because we had to do all kinds of thing like things like thinking systematically and communicating powerfully mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, like for me, I would imagine I want to learn about gravity, but I would just push something off a wall probably and just see what happens. So <laughs> this is many, many uh, levels above that. And so you put together this proposal, an eighth graders putting together a proposal that gets submitted and reviewed. Um, did you have any idea what that field was like, how many people uh, were looking for a space to get their cube onto this um, rocket. Did, did you have a sense, Amandine, uh, what your, uh, I guess, competition was like? Um, well, 80 people were going to be nominated, nominated. So 80 people were going to have this cube put into the spaceship. And I'm sure the scientists who are making this spaceship are probably going to have their own experiments. But, yeah, it was it was very, com- like, they're, like, very, it's- like, high stakes. And, like, we were, like, it's um, worldwide. Yeah. So, 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 so what, 80 experiments in this one rocket? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, the Cubes in Space program will put uh, 80 experiments in there from the students. Um, I'm not actually sure how many people um, submitted applications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, worldwide, you know, competition and uh, 80 is a pretty small number when you're thinking about all the, you know, possibly um, hundreds of kids trying to 
put their experiment in space. Mm-hmm. Monique, do you know? I mean, what are what the range of student uh, ages were submitting for these eighty slots? Is it's it? uh, for eleven to fourteen years old, oh, so it's okay. really directed okay. to middle school. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then the, this. Um, so 80, 80 experiments, they're all coming in from all over the place. Uh, this is going to get launched over at the, the Wallops uh, facility Absolutely. in yes. Virginia. Are you, guys, yes. uh, are you guys heading up to that, or are you just going to watch it online? No, they're going to put it online, uh, and uh, we're going to certainly watch it. It's going to be in the middle of the night or something for us, but we'll be up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Amadin, what? Uh, so you have a little SD uh, card there that's going to be collecting the data. How does... Uh, how do you get that data once it returns? Is it uh Well, it's not really collecting the data. It's more um like um it's creating more space to create it. Um but yeah, once we're done with that, we're going to plug it into the computer and uh just take all the data and then we're going to see what we're going to do from there. How do you how how are you going to retrieve that experiment? Is it so the rocket launches goes up to 120 kilometers it shoots off its payload? Does it have a parachute that allows it to come back down? I mean, and then are the experiments retrievable after it lands on Earth? Is that the idea? Yeah, so what's going to happen is the rocket will go up to 120 kilometers, um, and then when it comes back down, it'll be a water landing. So, yeah, it'll have a parachute, and uh, everything's going to stay within the container, Mm -hmm. um, but it will uh, experience zero gravity. And then, you know, parachute will come down, hit the water, and then they'll retrieve all the experiments and then send it back to us. And then we do whatever we need to do. Well, in our case, we'll just take the memory card mm-hmm. and stick it in the computer and then see what kind of data we uh, retrieved. And then, uh, Amitin, what, what do you have in mind once you retrieve that data? What, what are you going to do with it? Uh, well, first of all, we're thinking about making an article on this mm-hmm. and so that we can tell even more people about this and about what, like, about maybe the possibilities of what we can do with this data. Um, but we're thinking about making, well, not making ourselves because we don't have the materials to create a satellite to go to space, not yet, at least. But, um, yeah, we're, we're not sure yet, but but with this data, there's many options or, like, uh, pathways that we can take. Mm-hmm. Now, Monique, this is yes. not a project that is purely science. It's, it's about all of the things that go into uh, doing science from the research certainly and the hardware and the software but i know that there's also kind of the the communications component putting together the proposal and articulating your idea yes. is a big part of that so following this it sounds like that um kind of spreading the word of the experience and the findings of their experiment is is it's not going to end basically when the rocket comes down and they get the sd card correct right absolutely because they're going to get the data and now based on the data, then they can decide and make some calculation where mathematics is going to come into the picture again and to tell us if uh, how much thrust we need on the spacecraft in order to be able to maintain those low altitude. The major issue having low altitude satellite is that the orbit decay very quickly. Therefore, we need to have some actuation in order to maintain the, or- the orbit to sustain uh, and not crash onto the Earth. And those data are going to tell us some information about the sort of thrust that we need. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it tells us that we need a very high thrust at that altitude, then we know that it is not really doable. Mm-hmm. That's the information that we are looking for. So, so Monique, uh, from your math department perspective, uh, I know, you're, you, know you have classes that you teach, but is your, is your research or your 
activity kind of geared more toward the space science and you know you know doing sort of these math experiments uh, or math um, gathering of data and is it more geared towards space kinds of activities? Uh, I have definitely one project with the Institute for Astronomy where uh, I'm designing a rendezvous mission to asteroid to a new uh, type of uh, near-Earth object, mm-hmm, which are mm-hmm. called Minimoon. Robert Jedicke, I think you had him mm-hmm. uh, speaking about that in here. So uh, the mathematics that are involved and that I work with, they are really a tool and a methodology that can be applied to many different situations and not just space. Space is one where it works really well, but I have also a project on brain development and and like a completely bra- uh, different project with the same sort of mathematics. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Amadan, you know, when you get the data after the, you know, uh, rocket is launched. Uh, do you have plans to perhaps create a uh, science fair project as a result of that? I mean, what do you? What is your plan to let people know besides writing a paper that uh, the results of this experiment? Um, we haven't really decided yet, and I don't even know if we're going to because um, I'm not. I I, I mean, I, we want people to know about this because we want to inspire other people to do the same thing and maybe come up with other great ideas like these. But um, science fair and things, I, I'm not sure about that. Well, one of the questions that we have to ask when we when we, we really enjoy having young guests on our show, because they are truly the future, is um, where do you see in the long term this robotics background and now this space experiment that you're doing, Amandan? Um, what do you foresee, and you won't be held to this, uh, as your career path forward? Um, well, um, I, I'm more... I, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested into architecture, but this is like a. I, I really like f- physics and like, um, and um, math and uh, and engineering uh-huh. and stuff like that. And um, I don't really know what I think about the future. <laughs> no, well, architecture is great. What was it that yeah uh, sort of attracted you to architecture? Given the fact that you've got all this great experience with robotics and now this is a space experiment. I mean, what was it that attracted you to architecture? I don't know many things. My grandpa was an artist, and I love drawing, mm-hmm. and I think I might have a skill in that. And so, and I also have like, and I'm also quite good at math. Mm. And so, yeah, and and that's all that has to do a lot with uh, architecture. I can mm-hmm. see that. So you know, we'll go from uh, Rabindran to Ossipov and all the great names of architecture of Hawaii. Uh, Zach, uh, how about you? I mean, you're still at UH, but what's what's in your future? Oh, well, I'm more interested in the software side. I love programming. Um, and so uh, eventually I want to develop software for researchers, uh, whether it be physics or biology, um, whether it be simulation software or data analysis. Um, so that's why I'm getting into computer engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also interested in working in uh, lar- very large computer systems, like supercomputers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things I'm interested in, but um, I think computer engineering covers all that. Well, stuff. that sounds like you might be looking beyond you in going into perhaps graduate studies then uh, in these fields. Right. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Maybe also uh, taking a cla- lot more classes. I-, I mean, I love physics, so maybe taking a lot more classes in that and things like that. So, yeah, I might have to get master's or something. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, the I think another organization at UH was mentioned uh, in this project, the uh, Hawaii Space Flight uh, Group over there at UH. What what role did they play? Monique, is that 
something that you yes, can Yes, absolutely. So when uh, when we learned that the uh, experiment was selected mm-hmm. to go into space, uh, I asked them and I, I talked with them because I have we are branching with them with, between the MAD department and the Hawaii Space Flight uh, Laboratory. And they are actually se- they are actually working currently with undergraduate students to design some experiment on a sounding rocket for the month of August. They have different constraints. They have a big bur- bigger box, mm-hmm. so they are a little more lucky. But mm-hmm. when th- they were very excited that this was happening, and then they invited uh, Zach, Amandine, and James to go to the lab and share their experience and give them advices. So that was very useful. So, so, so they're only in an advisory capacity. Then they're not. They're not helping to build build any aspect of this. Well, they. The building aspect is really left to the team, to mm-hmm. the two eighth graders. That's mm-hmm. really the idea, and Zach is mentoring that, and everybody else is giving advices. and And I think they they told you, Zach, you can confirm like some of the parts where to get them, and and maybe not to build that it would take too long. Right. So yeah, I have. I mean, I have experience in programming and, ro- and robotics and things like that. Things like that, but. They um, they knew a lot more about uh, microprocessors than I did, and they knew about they they've done a lot more shopping than I have, and uh, with the with this kind of components. So they told us about the Teensy, which is which was a much better option than uh, the microcontroller that we wanted, and um, they sh- uh, showed us how to add an SD card here so that we could have more memory and. They showed us a better battery that we can stick in the experiment. So yeah, that was a great help. So Amandin, are you excited? Are you is this are you built? Are you ready to go? Or you've got a tight deadline and you're still stressing out? Um, a little bit in the middle because um, well, well, we we we're still in the we're although we're kind of finishing up, we're kind of putting it all together right now. We're we're still thinking about other things like the anti-static foam and mm-hmm. things like that. And yeah, I I wish they could um, put it a little bit, put the deadline a little bit further <laughs> so that we had more time to think. I know the feeling. But yeah. Um, yeah. Oh well, we'll definitely monitor this and maybe watch it live uh, with you guys uh, when it does launch on the twenty fifth of June. So Monique Chiba is the professor over at the University of Hawaii in the math department. Zach uh, Deweese is a student mentor, and Ahmedin Rabindran goes to Sikhs the Charter School for Examining Questions and Sustainability. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll learn about the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration System. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. Of course, you can also... Find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And please follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's the band, probably the all-time best band, in my opinion, Uh-oh. R.E.M., and a song called Near Wild Heaven. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.